0: Uh, Let's ask God to help us with his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can sit and hear the account of our Lord's rising from the dead. Uh, We thank you that so many years later uh, we still hear the witness of the apostles. Uh, We pray in your mercy you will give us conviction of the truth of what they say, but more, that we would know what the resurrection of Jesus means uh, for each one of us. And help me to speak your word truthfully and clearly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Christians tend to make a lot of the crucifixion, but uh, the crucifixion of Jesus that is, but for the people of Jesus' day, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus wasn't something exceptional or unusual crucifixions had happened in their hundreds in the preceding decades, an almost run-of-the-mill occurrence. It was just, well, just the way the Romans did business, the way they quashed dissent and maintained control, just part of the way the world worked. And uh, as I get older, I might be becoming a bit jaded, but in reality, the circumstances of Jesus' crucifixion were also still just part of the way the world works, all pretty ordinary. The good being sacrificed for power. Truth being secondary to pragmatic concerns and utilitarian judgments. what seems best for all. The affairs of cities and states being guided by the sentiment of the mob, the sentiment which is manipulated by the influencers for their own self-interest. Nothing unusual here. On one level, it's all been a sadly familiar story. And the grief of Mary at the tomb when she cannot find the body of Jesus, well, that's also sadly familiar, isn't it? Hers is sudden loss of one who was loved and respected so dear to her that she'd anointed his feet with expensive ointment and wiped them with her hair. It was violent loss, A cruel death that she'd witnessed. And yes, like all death, an irreversible loss, but not a unique loss, was it? Many have lost those they love suddenly and violently and all irreversibly. And now, when she's looking to express her devotion one last time, hers is a loss compounded by not knowing. Why are you weeping? say the angels. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And this compounding of loss we are also familiar with. Uh, You might be aware that several states have passed in the last few years, no body, no parole laws, in recognition of the extra burden placed on grieving families by the absence of the body of their loved one, by not having a grave at which to mourn. When the Queensland law was passed in 2017, uh, the parents of a murdered young man who campaigned for these changes actually said that this will stop people having to suffer the way all our families have had to suffer not knowing because it is the wondering. In her grief, Mary is now confronted either by a further unkindness or a thoughtless indifference without a focus for her grief not knowing, wondering. And we know this world that Mary lives in, experiencing injustice, the unfairness of it all, of the time and chance that takes from us those we loved. are powerless to change things, to even ensure a proper mourning, burdened by grief. And yet a world that will not pause for grief. Outside that garden, The world, Jerusalem, was getting ready for another day, another day of buying and selling of plans and journeys. So this is a world where we can be so alone with our tears, have hearts like Mary's, heavy with loss while the spring sun shines. And then Jesus says, Mary. Mary hears Jesus call her name. Oh, she hadn't recognised him, had not given this figure in the garden her full attention before. Her mind was full of her loss and her need to find the body. sir, so she'd said to him, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. She wasn't expecting to see Jesus, not expecting him to be alive. She was searching for a corpse, not a living voice. But then the good shepherd calls her by name and she knows his voice. She didn't find the body, but the living Jesus has found her. Oh yes, the reunion's not permanent yet. She can't cling to him, verse 17, for he's not yet ascended to the Father. But Mary knows that Jesus lives and that the promises he has made her are true and there is no more need for tears. And even the most jaded of us, those most weary by the grief and folly and cruelty of the world can feel the goodness of this moment. To have that loved one with you again, whether it's that son or daughter lost prematurely, that parent who loved you, that spouse, or that friend whose absence leaves you aching, to have them alive talking with you again, to hear their love in their voice, And we think, risen from the dead, oh, that it were so. Oh, that it was so for Mary. Oh, that it was so for us. We feel the goodness. We can sense the beauty of the garden at that moment when Mary's weeping ceases. We feel the goodness. We sense the longing of our own hearts that death wouldn't be the end. But we also know that this story isn't really good unless it's true. Unless Jesus, alive from the dead, is really there, this is just an empty story, at best expressing an aspiration, at worst mocking our real losses. You know, living in this world, we all know about fine words, words we want to believe that are empty stories to manipulate our feelings and rob our wallets, words that hold out hope but leave you uncertain and wondering, empty. In fact, some of us have been so wounded by such words, haven't we? I love you, I'll never do it again, words which may have been wishes but we have been painfully forced to see had no reality. And in our world you even hear those words, words we want to believe in relation to death. You may have heard them at some funerals. Your loved one has become a star in the sky looking down on you. Oh, she'll live forever and her presence will be with us all our lives. Oh, when you live in the hearts of those you love, remember then you never die, which makes you wonder why you're at the funeral. Right? Fine words, but empty. Band-aids for broken hearts that need more. And despite what is sometimes claimed, the way we feel about things doesn't make reality. Our feelings keep none of those we love alive. Our longing never brings them back. Death is an absolute, which does not flatter our sense of importance, our claims to be able to create reality. For this story, whose goodness we sense, for this story to be good, it must be true. And our God knows that and gives proof of Jesus' resurrection. Provides evidence to the senses of the reality of the risen Jesus first to the apostles and then to us by their testimony, their witness. One of those apostles, Thomas, who we meet in verse 24, also knew that for the resurrection of Jesus to be good news it must be true. I suspect that As well as that, he knew that the more we long for something to be true, the more we are likely to be deceived. And Thomas, we hear, is determined not to be deceived, not to be hurt by the disappointment, to not open even a crack to the hope that his master, his beloved master, lived. Thomas had heard the report of his friends, people with whom he had lived and travelled for three years. They told him clearly that the Jesus who had been crucified, who had been buried, was alive, that he'd shown them his hands and sides identifying marks of the wounds still there. This was Jesus, no mistake. And in Luke it tells us that on that first Sunday night, Jesus had even shared broiled fish with them to assure them he was no ghost, no disembodied spirit. Luke 24, verse 39. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marvelling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Thomas had heard their report. He'd heard them speak of, well, how they'd been convinced of the genuineness of Jesus' resurrection. But he could not bring himself to believe. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And Did you notice that? Even the evidence of his own eyes would not be enough. Not enough. Not just to. It's not enough to see. He would have to touch those wounds. And then eight days later, Thomas was convinced. Was convinced of Jesus' resurrection by Jesus himself. He said to Thomas, "Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but." believe and what we see to be true of Thomas that it's the appearance of the risen Jesus that convince him is actually true of all the apostles all those Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15 then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still asleep though some are still alive though some have fallen asleep Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He appeared. It is the appearance of Jesus that convinced them that Jesus was alive in the body in which he had died. Being able to speak with him, walk with him, eat with him, touch him, being instructed by him. There was no mass hallucination, no confusion about whether Jesus had really died, whether the Roman executors had failed in their task. Oh, no. And there was no error about where the body had been placed, no conspiracy to project onto the pages of history their convictions about Jesus. They weren't convinced of the resurrection by an empty tomb and an absent body. They were convinced by an empty tomb and a present embodied Jesus appearing to them. The goodness of Jesus' resurrection, we sense in his tear-ending calling of Mary, is real. Real because the resurrection is true. And it is good, not just for Jesus and his first followers, those who knew him personally while he was on earth, Sometimes that's what we seem to think, as if the story ends with the fact of the resurrection and a happy reunion with his followers, that the significance of Jesus' resurrection is exhausted when we have asserted that it has happened. But Jesus' resurrection is good for us all because it is part of a bigger story, not an isolated event. That bigger story is presented to us in Thomas's confession on being addressed by the risen Jesus. Remember his words? My Lord and my God. You see, the Gospel's not the story of a private individual. It's not even the story of an heroic and righteous man. It is the story of the true and good God come to save. That's been true right through the Gospel. We see that at the beginning. At the beginning, what did we hear? Jesus is the eternal Word who is God and with God become flesh to bring grace and truth. It's the repeated claim of Jesus in the Gospel that he is the one sent from the Father to do his will and speak his words. The good God saving is what is happening in the crucifixion of Jesus, the King of the Jews. And now... This is recognised in that room by Thomas as he sees the wounds in the risen Jesus' hands and side. Thomas, having seen all Jesus did. Thomas, having heard all that Jesus taught, that he comes from above, that he does what he sees the Father doing, that before Abraham was, Jesus is. Oh, Thomas, having heard Jesus speak repeatedly of his relationship with the Father, having been, for example, in the upper room when Jesus answers Philip's question, Lord, show us the Father. And then heard Jesus say, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Having seen, having heard, Thomas knows that Jesus' resurrection is the demonstration of the truth of all that Jesus has said. The demonstration of the truth of his relationship with the Father because resurrection is a demonstration of truth only God can give. Only God can give life. Only God can raise the dead. It is not within the power of humanity and that is transparently so for none others have risen dead three days raised to life. More. Resurrection is the demonstration that Jesus is God. Oh, not all the God there is, the Son of God, who had received from the Father the power to lay down his life and the power to take it up again, as Jesus had said. It's the demonstration that he, like the Father, has life in himself. And Thomas's confession of Jesus as God, his locating the resurrection in the story of the good God come to save, tells us also that the resurrection is the sign and guarantee of that purpose to save. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can give the life of the age to come that Jesus promises. Now we know in the resurrection that the risen Jesus, the Son of God, can be trusted to do all that he has promised to forgive and give life. Oh, and we now know the nature of the life he promises the life he promises is life like his life death no longer has any hold over the eternal life of the age to come starting now the life he gives to all who believe his word who will share Thomas's confession who believe in the words of John that he is the Christ, the Son of God, on the basis of the witness of the apostles contained in the Gospels. That's why that witness was given, verse 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. By appointing the apostles his messengers, as he... Yeah, I've missed a verse. I'll read it to you. Uh, By appointing the apostles his messengers, sending them out as the Father has sent him and equipping them with his spirit, Jesus has made provision for all to hear his word. In verse 21, Jesus says to his apostles, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And just as the purpose of Jesus' coming was to save, not to condemn the world, so that is the purpose of their coming with the message of Jesus, to bring forgiveness of sins, freedom from judgment, life. Jesus goes on and says to them, receive the Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Oh, and just as... The Apostles' Gospel declares forgiveness to all who believe, who will confess Jesus as Lord and God. And just as to ignore Jesus' words was to stay in death and condemnation, so yes, to ignore the Apostles' Gospel is to still be in your sin and to be without forgiveness. After Jesus says to them, If you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven them, he says, And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, brothers and sisters, it is not an accident that we are hearing of Jesus' resurrection today, hearing the witness of those who saw the risen Jesus. This is Jesus' provision for us, his provision to give us that life by sending the apostles out into the world with their witness. He has sent that word out to save Here, in the risen Jesus, the Son of God calling to us in his gospel, is comfort. Comfort not only for Mary, but for all who weep. This message of the resurrection is not too good to be true, but good because it is true. And so this morning I say to you, know the truth of the resurrection. By receiving for yourself the witness of the apostles, and so know the living Jesus who is truth himself. Know him by believing the word he commissioned them to preach, the word he gave them, the witness he entrusted to them. Know the truth of the resurrection. And if you're a believer that God has raised Jesus from the dead, let yourself feel the goodness of his resurrection. By feeling the goodness of his gift of life, his resurrection guarantees. Let yourself feel the goodness of his forgiveness, established as certain for all who believe the witness of the apostles. You see, he is, Jesus is Lord and God. All judgment is his. So forgiven by Jesus you are forgiven forever and for all. Now, do you feel that in your heart this morning, confessing that God has raised Jesus from the dead? That what you're ashamed of, what perhaps you still hold against yourself, what you know deserves the anger of a righteous God, has been forgiven by the Son of God as you've turned and believed the gospel. Oh, and if you're a believer, let yourself feel the goodness of the hope he gives where death is not the end, a certain hope. You see, it is now the risen Jesus who has shown he has life in himself, shown death is no barrier to his keeping his word, who says to you, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Die. Jesus is risen from the dead. He is the resurrection and the life. Why would you doubt Him? Take comfort from His promise. Oh, and believer, let yourself feel the goodness of the relationship with the Almighty God as Father, which is the life Jesus, the Son of God, brings. This is eternal life, he'd said to his disciples, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This life Jesus brings is not an abstract thing, something that's an idea or something that only starts after you die. It is relationship now with the living God who is known in knowing his Son. A relationship where you can trust him, and his good purpose for you. Where in Christ he relates to you as he relates to Christ, where you can call him Father, call on him, come to him for grace and help, where you can know yourself even as you go through this life with all its ups and downs, as his adopted child assured of his love. Know the truth of the resurrection and let yourself feel, Feel its goodness. And don't be abashed if you're a believer to share its beauty. See, Christians are often made to feel that our faith is ugly and life-restricting, that to come to believe in Jesus means becoming inauthentic and that to ask people to turn to Jesus is to somehow injure them. Don't be conned by those who want to pretend that the prison of their own thought, feelings and desires is the whole world, who don't want to face truth outside themselves. The news of the resurrection and the biggest story of which it is a part, the story of the good saving God, being true and good is also beautiful. And it is an extraordinary beauty. In a world where we mar and are marred by selfishness, the resurrection is the triumph and vindication of a love that pours itself out for others, a love that brings life and isn't love beautiful. We recognise that, don't we? We recognise the beauty of a mother's love for a child, the beauty of the love of bride and groom. But this is love for the undeserving, for a rebellious world. This is love which gives all. Lays down its life. It is beautiful. And in a world where so much is confused and obscured, the resurrection is the clarity and light of truth. And isn't life beautiful in itself? And doesn't it bring out the beauty of all the good it shines upon? Even if it exposes our darkness, light is beautiful. And where so often injustice gets ignored, the resurrection tells us that God establishes justice for the innocent son is vindicated. It tells us God is committed to justice and it will be established for all at the last day. And isn't justice that brings and sustains order at the heart of all beauty? Justice is beautiful, even if it condemns our injustice. Oh, and the resurrection of Jesus is the exaltation of the humble, not the proud, the reward of the meek, not the selfish, the fulfilment of faithfulness. It is beautiful, even if it exposes our selfish pride, our self-centred impatience and our self-serving failures. So this morning, if in your heart there is a longing for what is true, what is good and what is beautiful a longing to leave the lies and the evil and the ugliness of sin, even of your sin, Well believe the gospel of the risen Jesus. These things are written, we are told, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the promise of the living God the God who is always near to those who call on him, near to you if you will call on him. If you want to do that, if you want the truth, the goodness, the beauty that the gospel brings, but you're unsure of what to do, well, come and talk. Don't leave without knowing. And if you know you're a believer in the gospel of the risen Jesus, having heard the gospel again, Be determined to hold fast to its truth. Jesus lives, not as a thought. He lives in the body in which he was killed, never to die again. He lives, Lord and God. Live thankful for the gospel's goodness, the goodness that you experience each day in trusting the risen Jesus, the good gifts of forgiveness, hope, Relationship with the living God as your Father. And share the beauty of the gospel of the risen Jesus, for it is the beauty of the risen Christ, full of grace and truth. Rejoice, the Lord is risen. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we pray that this account... Of our Lord's rising from the dead, this witness to his appearances after his crucifixion would not just be for us dead words on the page, but that by your powerful spirit we would know it is true. He is risen. And gracious Father, we pray knowing that, we would trust the risen Jesus for forgiveness, for hope, and for relationship with you now. And turning to him in repentance and faith, we pray that you will give us the life he promises, the life of your spirit changing us, crying in our heart, Abba, Father and sustaining us to eternal life. We seek this mercy so that our Lord Jesus will be glorified as he is, the Saviour of the world, and all will come and confess him and rejoice in him. In Jesus' name, amen.